Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 140 of the John Riley Project. And, you know, this uh, guest of mine, I'm so pleased to have him here today. There's been a lot of demand for this man to be on the podcast, especially from some of our friends and neighbors here in Poway. I'm pleased to introduce Mr. Phil Factor. How you doing, Phil? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, I'm just as excited as uh, as you are. Um, when the t- first time I met you on the corner, I thought, "Wow, you know, this will be something I'll really enjoy do you know doing." So here we are. Here we are. Yeah, we uh, we met out on the corner of Pomerado and Twin Peaks in, um, in Poway, you know, during the political protests on Sunday mornings. And um, so just really pleased you had an opportunity to join me here. And Thanks. I'm hoping we're going to get a chance to talk about some local Poway topics, talking about maybe some national issues. You know, there's so much in the news right now. Um, but before we get started, maybe you can give our listeners and our viewers just sort of a, a quick uh, biography. Who is Phil Factor and, and um, what's your background? And, and uh, tell us a little about yourself. All righty. So back in uh, 1976, I came to Poway Unified as a teacher. I was very, very fortunate to get hired at a time where um, not too many teachers were getting hired across the country. And I was fortunate that uh, Pat Holligan and Dave Stein and Dr. Bob Reeves um, saw enough into me as a football coach and a, and a teacher to hire me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really young at the time, age 23, um, had been married uh, for two years. I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. Nice. And uh, we're, uh, we're going on our 50th year together, So, which is real awesome. We have two kids. Yeah. Um, brought him up in Poway. Um, we first, when we first got there, uh, we lived right in Rancho Penasquitas, right down the street from Mount Carmel High School. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived there a couple of years and looked around the area and we said, we want to live in Poway, but we couldn't afford it. And uh, so we ended up in San Marcos for 10 years where we raised our boys. My wife went off to uh, medical school and got her physician assistant's license. Nice. And uh, I was a Mr. Mom for two years. So All right. I, I experienced, you know, really having the kids and stuff and, and taking care of them, being fully responsible at the same time teaching. And while that was going on, I got involved in drug abuse prevention work, uh, the Just Say No Club and uh, a program called Safe Rides, which I'm hoping that we'll talk a little bit you know, about in either this episode or another one in future. Sure. So um, with that, I uh, um, really was involved right from the get-go in uh, um, volunteer work in, in Poway. In fact, uh, the first year I got there at Mount Carmel, um, I opened up a program that was called Give a Kid a Christmas. And uh, it uh, was a part of uh, adding to the uh, food cupboard that was run by a lady by the name of Angie Brinkley. I wonder how many people still remember her. And uh, she, uh, she ran a food kitchen along with a, a, a great guy that is still around, um, Vern Marston. Okay. Oh, yeah, I know Vern. Yeah, he's a good great man. Great guy. Great yeah. guy. So I go all the way back to 1976 volunteering for Poway and helping out and like with food kitchen and other things that I did. And, and then eventually, of course, I got involved with the uh, drug abuse um, prevention stuff and, and started getting involved with the city council. Um, I started working with Jan Goldsmith and Linda Brannon, uh, Betty Rexford and 
and uh, some of that group um, opened up a, uh, a volunteer um, program called Contact. And uh, we were going to bring communities together. Um, we formed a board, and Linda Brandon pretty much headed that. She was, at the time, a city council member. So um, I've had my feet deep into the Poway community for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, we currently live up in, on uh, Iron Mountain Drive, which is the most rural part of Poway. Wow. And uh, so we've been there now since 1988. and. Wow. Uh, it's, uh, you know, when we first got there, the house was um, one of the few homes up there, mm-hmm. and some of the neighbors have come in, and it's just been a, a great place um, where we raised our boys. Um, our boys went to Poway High, and uh, they were fortunate to, uh, enough to work under uh, Al Toretto and Wayne Branstetter in the okay. wrestling program. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, they were elite wrestlers. They ended up uh, uh, going off to college. The oldest boy, Josh, um, went to the University of Oregon. He was a duck, you know, quack, quack. Yeah, right on. uh, um, The youngest boy got a full uh, tuition scholarship to Cal State Bakersfield. Sweet. Um, And so he wrestled there. And eventually the oldest boy ended up going back over to Bakersfield Mm -hmm. because that tuition was very, very expensive. And and he did not have any ticket to help him out. Mm -hmm. So um, now uh, um, I'm a... I'm going to announce it. Okay, ready, world? Listen, I'm a (laughs) great-grandpa as of yesterday. Hey, And so we have a new addition to our family. (laughs) Congratulations. uh, I I think I'm still on a cloud, you know, so what else? Um, You know, my greatest part of my uh, uh, working career was at Mount Carmel High School, and I also got around to all the other schools um, as an adult ed teacher or teaching summer school. So I even taught it New Directions. So I worked the homeschool program and really can relate to some of the stuff that's going on right now, you know, with the the virus out there. Um, Love teaching and uh, a a great amount of my friends to this day um, were my students. And uh, which, you know, in fact, I I think yesterday when you and I talked, I said, are you sure you're one of my students? (laughs) um, Right. I just had an incredible career and uh, it, it, you know, it included coaching and advising. Um, I advised the class of 1983, class of 1987. Um, I was a black student union advisor. I was a, the, uh, um, the uh, Mencha advisor. Wow. Um, I ran an international club, um, ran a lot of different types of activities. At the very end, I was a gay straight Alliance advisor and, uh, <laughs> okay. Those kids felt really comfortable just being in my room. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to add to that is that uh, my college background, I have a sociology degree and then went off to uh, get my master's in psychology and counseling. So I actually have a, had a, um, a lifetime teaching credential with a counseling degree. Wow. And so it's, uh, um, I call myself a humanist. And I, I think that'll really come out here. Um, and as we talk, is that people come first. And um, speaking of people come first, the second announcement I'm going to make on, on okay. this uh, podcast is um, I feel factor I am running for Poway City Council District 2. And uh, I know that, that you already knew that, but um, being on this podcast, um, I wanted to share that I plan on being the next city council member in Poway. 
This is exciting. Wow. A new grandchild, a, uh, announcing your candidacy um, here for, in Poway for city council. And, and wow, your background. There's so many things that you've, you've um, covered in your, in your life and in your career that I think can be very beneficial for you as a candidate um, and as a grandfather in helping you know, raise your family. This is, this is great. I'm really excited that you joined me. You know, when I, when I first used to uh, talk about myself, I'd always talk about football because I played football on a, uh, um, one of the greatest uh, football teams in the L.A. City area. Um, I was on a team that uh, invented the uh, West Coast offense, really the spread offense. And uh, in fact, my coach ended up coaching um, John Elway. So wow. it's uh, um, we're actually in Sports Illustrated, and and uh, I'm chairing a fiftieth uh, uh, team reunion, which is supposed to be on twelve twelve at noontime, um, twenty twenty. So it's coming up. So that's a uh, that's what I used to talk about, and then. Of course, being the uh, macho guy that I used to think I was, um, I used to brag about being a weightlifter and uh, um, did some incredible feats as far as weightlifting. Used to bench 465 pounds and uh, um, warm up with 305 pounds. So it's, uh, you know, that stuff isn't important. The most important thing that I've found is family, friends, community, and uh, living a good life and caring about people. Right on. So what high school did you go to in L.A.? It was Granada Hills High School. Yeah, yeah. So that's is, that's in the San Fernando Valley, right? It is. Yeah, and that's right, because that's where Elway was from. Um, exactly. I remember, yeah, Granada Hills. Um, I, what was the deal? He was he played baseball with Jay Schrader, didn't he? Like one yeah. of them was a pitcher and the other was a catcher. What happened was his dad was a football coach up north and ended up getting a job at Cal State Northridge. And uh, part of it was where to place his son. And uh, knowing that uh, we had a championship football team previously and our coach was known for the uh, the passing game, he, uh, he met our coach, Jack Newmeyer, and said, okay, I am going to go to Cal State Northridge and coach, but my son is going to go to uh, Granada Hills. And uh, um, John played baseball and football at the school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, of course, you know, he ended up having a, a, a he played both sports up at Stanford and really had the choice to go either way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he was drafted with, by the Yankees, I thought, in addition to the, you know, the NFL draft. Yeah. yeah, I don't know too much about his uh, his uh, baseball background. But I, I definitely uh, was a fan of his all the way through um, oh, yeah. his football career. Yeah, I mean, what a yeah, what a great career he's had, and now he's GM of the Broncos. So good yes. for him. Yeah. Uh, um, wow. So yeah, let's let's talk a little bit, if we can, about you know you're, you're announcing your candidacy for the city of Poway for city council. Let's talk a little bit here locally. What are some of the the problems that you think we need to fix here in Poway? Well, you know, people always ask that. First of all, Poway is a great town to live in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of people want to say, Phil, what are you going to do, you know, different for Poway? And, you know, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as what am I going to do to maintain the quality of life in Poway? How am I going to keep Poway a great place to live? Now, it, it does need, you know, um, things that, that, that I could see. Uh, I'll just give you a real um, example. Uh, one day I decided that uh, I was going to ride the uh, um, MTS bus. 
And uh, um, I rode it all the way through Poway. And then the next day I rode another route and I was asking a lot of questions. And one of the questions that I asked was, does it go up to the industrial park? Doesn't go up to the industrial park. Now here we have most of the people in Poway that are employed are up in the industrial park but we have no way for them to get there. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I'm thinking that needs to be looked at. Um, another thing is we have a lot of different topics going on right now, like the uh, Performing Arts Center. Should that go to the school district or should it be kept by the city? How is it going to be funded? And how are we going to keep that, that, that program, you know, alive? At the other end, right in my district, um, we have the uh, projection of building the farm. 160 homes and uh, I've walked the neighborhoods and asked people what do you think some of the neighbors are for it and some of them are against it right um, I've heard Kevin uh, um, McNamara give his presentation twice and uh, I'm, I'm really impressed I'm impressed with the fact that he's done his homework that he's prepared to give the city a great community but what do the people want and I think that's that's a big part of it and you know like like I mentioned earlier I'm all about people. So when we talk about Phil Factor and what he wants to do for Poway, it's people first. And what does that mean? It means to be a true representative in government mm-hmm. and not be a rubber stamper, not do what the mayor says every time. Let's right. do what the people want. And uh, as, as an example, Performing Arts Center, every, t- every city council meeting that I've been to, there's a long line of people waiting to talk to, at the podium. And guess what most of them are saying? We want the Performing Arts Center to stay with the city of Poway. And there's a reason why. is because they love that Performing Arts Center. Mm-hmm. Some of their kids just grew up right on the stage right there. Some of them grew up right on the stage. And they want to see that the programs there continue. They don't believe that the school district can do that. So I want to be a voice of the people, for the people. And um, the problems that come up, I want to help people solve them. I'm a, I'm a problem solver and uh, I'm a person that's going to listen to the people, which I, I think that's one of the things is missing also is a lot of times we, and I understand we have a tough budget and tough times, but you know, there's always a way to make money, but what about people? Um, but I think it was the last city council meeting. Someone was talking about a four way stop sign near old coach road. Mm-hmm. No, not old. Yeah, old Pomerado Road. Oh, and okay. the, the city decided that based on the criteria that they had, there was five different things that it didn't meet the criteria, and they decided to say no to the four-way stop. And I'm thinking, four-way stop? Someone's going to be hurt there first before we put one up? Um, I was looking at the decision-making. It, it didn't make sense, and I thought to myself, how much is that going to cost to put a four-way stop there? Later on the night, they decided they were going to have fireworks. And I'm thinking they're going to spend money on fireworks before they're going to put in a four-way stop that could help save life or prevent an accident. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, people first, that's what I'm running on. Right. So um, what am I going to solve in Poway? I, I think that's the big thing. People are going to come first. I'm going to try to bring in added transparency. Some of the stuff that happens um, in uh, uh, restaurants after city council meetings. I, I believe we should be right up front 
and let the people know what's going on. Print the agendas early. Let them see what's there. Another big part is, I don't know how many times you've been to the city council meeting. There are so many seats open. Let's fill that place because we want to encourage people to participate in what's going on. And when they get to that podium, it's not about that three minutes. It's about listening to them. So those are the biggest things for me is to be people oriented, uh, to communicate and uh, let the people know that they're going to count. Right on. I mean, that's a that's a really nice platform. I mean, especially the whole notion of being a, a true representative of the people. You're listening to their needs and bringing their their values, their their concerns forward as a city councilman. Um, yeah, that's a that's a terrific platform. Now, I'm thinking, you know, I want to uh, okay, let me hit on this. So, you know, as I decided that I was going to run which is another story in itself because it was basically came from my wife. But uh, I started thinking about who is Phil Factor. I'm not a politician. I am not a politician. So if you want a guy that is politically just bright as can be, I'm not it. I'm the guy that's a humanist. I'm a guy that's people oriented. I'm a guy that's going to walk down the street. I'm going to say hello to you and you don't even know who I am. And I'm going to start talking to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know that you are important, and I don't care who you are. I let everybody know that, uh, you know, you're welcome in our town, and I, I try to make people feel good. I'm the guy that waves to everybody. And, uh, um, you know, it, when I was a teacher at Mount Carmel High School, um, and I think one of the big reasons why um, I was popular with the kids is the kids knew that I had their back. That's way important. When a kid comes into your classroom, you got to make them feel important. But not when they leave, you also got to make them feel important on campus. And when a lot of discussions came up of teacher decisions or student decisions or program decisions, I was a guy that stood up for the kids. And that's what I plan on doing for the city of Poway is I want to stick up for the communities. I want to stick up for the people. And I want to be having their back. And so I want to represent the people. I don't want to just represent what is right. I don't want to represent the developers. I don't want to represent given pockets of money. I want to represent the true people of Poway and I want to be sincere. I don't want to be a politician. I just want to be full factor up there representing the people. Right on. Well, you, you mentioned developers. Let, let's talk a little bit about that because there's a lot going on on Poway Road. There's a lot of construction that's about to start. There's been some construction that's been underway for a while. What's your opinion on the on the plan that's are currently in place for Poway Road? And are there things that you would do to change it? Well, first of all, it's too late. The fact is it's going up. And um, the plan came through with this current city council. They supported it and it's up and running. Um, you know, they, they're, as a government agency, they have done all the right steps to inform the people, to let people know, to, to get everything done. And um, it, it's, you know, it, it was the wrong timing. I know where I live. I live up in Iron Mountain area. And we have been protected by Proposition FF. And so if you're going to make a big change in our area, you have to go through a big voting process. 
What about the downtown Powell area? It didn't have that protection. And so when the decisions were made, a lot of that, you know, um, a lot of the commercial area ended up being flipped into, you know, residential condos and, uh, you know, with some commercial um, additives to it. So, you know, you know, I was at that meeting when everybody said, oh, look what they put up the penitentiary. We didn't have any warning. Oh, and everybody was all upset. You know, it's an eyesore. And we didn't know this and didn't know that. And I thought to myself, transparency. We should have never gotten to the point where the people came in after and, and complained about it. So why, weren't, why wasn't the city council way up front and, 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 and why didn't they really, the people really know? Um, is the building going to go up on Poway Road and people are going to say, what's going on here? I didn't hear about this. And the answer is probably, but it's already been decided upon and it's going to go up. And if, when I become city council member, I can't change that. It was already pre-decided at the last meeting. They were talking about a home that was going to be built um, off of uh, up in the hills right near Twin Peaks. And they were talking about it being a two-story home and it was supposed to be a one-story home. And they were talking about the height, which is a height limit of um, 36 feet. And they said, well, what's the difference? It's still going to be 36 feet one way you look at it, one or two stories. But they didn't talk about the visibility from when you're looking down right near uh, the Target shopping center, you're looking up the hill. What are you going to see? And is that house going to be really right over that cliff? And you're just going to see that instead of the mountain? Or are you going to see the mountain and then the house? So I think we just need to be transparent when it comes to the, the building. Um, I actually have thought quite a bit about this. And I'm thinking that because a lot of the issues in Poway happen to be about building and construction, why don't we actually have a committee that views the decisions, the building decisions that brings it to the city council? Just like we have a budget committee, why not have a people's committee in Poway that is the overviewer of the plans? So once the plans go through plan check, once they go through the city, now they go to the planning group, which is a city body of community people, and they're able to give their recommendation. So the recommendation isn't just coming from staff. Why not have it also come from the People's Committee of Power? That's, that's one of the ideas that would kind of solve a lot of this. If we don't get a vote on it, let's have a committee of the people look at it. Well, certainly a process like that would um, would encourage not only more transparency, but more buy-in from the community. And I right. think that would be helpful for the city council to do that, for sure. Um, it's also, we're talking about construction. One of the other hot topics that's been you know, active here in Poway for the last, gosh, four or five years is the notion of the um, uh, veterans housing that was supposed to be built on tw- on Twin Peaks. And then that was uh, changed. And, and that they've talked about putting it in the location of the uh, Big Stone Lodge and that, you know, they haven't really come to a final conclusion on that project. Wonder what your thoughts are. That's not something that's already happened. That's something you could greatly influence if you're elected. Right. Well, you know, when you come to San Diego, you realize it's a military town. 
mm-hmm. and we sure owe our hats and, and our lives to the great service of our military and our veterans. And so the, the idea of um, veteran housing fits right into our community, especially mo- a great deal of the people um, were in the military. I myself, I was not, but I do love military people and, and support them 100%. So I, I'm all, you know, for having military housing. Now the big question is where? Um, Old Stone Lodge? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm very supportive of the idea, recreate it, put it back in its, its best days and years, and uh, add it to one of the jewels of Poway um, mm-hmm. as, a, as a historical monument. Um, where they were going to put it right near the uh, soccer park, um, that lot's still vacant. You know, nothing's going to be done with it. Don't know exactly what really went down on that, but um, it was decided that they weren't going to use it there. Um, we definitely need to find a spot and a, a spot that's going to make the people that live there happy, but also one that's going to be something that we as a city are proud of because we do support the veterans. So, um, you know, it's, it's uh <laughs> That's a good question, and it it, it, it needs to be solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that it wasn't built on Twin Peaks is because there was objection from a lot of the neighbors on the north side of Twin Peaks Road. Um, so, yeah, this will be an interesting one to see how it sorts out. Um, if you're elected, wow, yeah, you could have a great impact on that process. You know, when, when people object, usually the first thing they talk about is traffic. Right. You notice that, you know, Always. What, you know we're, it's going to bring in another hundred cars, you know, it's going to bring in another 200 people. Um, and, you know, the congestion in Poway at times has been really tough. It's kind of been nice with on, on the, on the positive side of this, you know, um, virus, you know, we've had less traffic in Poway. You can get from one place to another. And even the lines in, in most of the places are, are pretty, uh, pretty fast go. But uh, um, back to exactly where and everybody being happy, I I think if we really take a look at it, most people in our community want to support veterans. And so if if we take a look and say what's going to be best for the people that are going to live there, what would be a a great site to, you know, to build a a residential area for them? Um, I think that's the, the approach that we need to take. Sure. You know, it's, it's interesting because you, you talked a little bit about, you know, um, Kevin McNamara's project, the farm um, at Poway up by the Stone Ridge Golf Course. And, you know, it's interesting. You, you, you actually walk the streets and talk to the neighbors is what you said earlier, right? That's awesome. Um, and, yeah, there's some people that are really for these new construction projects, some that are against nimbyism, you know, plays a big role, you know, not in my backyard. What's your angle on that whole the whole concept of NIMBYism. Well, first of all, I'm not sure on what that means. So tell me what your definition of NIMBYism is first. It's so not a word nim- I would frequently use. Okay, so NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y, not okay. in my backyard. Okay. And so it's basically people that don't necessarily object to the project. They just don't want it next to them. All right. They want it I somewhere it. else. I got it. So a little short story. Many, many years ago, there was a guy by the name of Zip Lucidi. He owned the hamburger factory, and he uh, decided that he was going to move up all the way up on top of Highway 67, and he wanted to build either a horse farm or a golf course. 
So we in the Iron Mountain region met, met with him. We said, oh, no, golf course is out. <laughs> we barely have water. Some of us have water problems. You know, some of us are trekking water up there. Some of us have wells that have just gone dry. And we're going, Mr. Lucidi, if you put a golf course in there, we are sure to be run out of town. Right. Um, Zip ended up going with a horse farm and uh, he set it up that way. But as soon as he did, he wanted a strip mall on the corner Mm. and uh, he tried to pass it through the city of putting a gas station and let's just call it a Circle K or a 7-Eleven or Zip Stop, you know, right there. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, he thought that it, it, it would be a great thing, you know, for the community, because if you run out of gas going up or down Poway grade, there was a place to get it. Well, us neighbors thought different. We really believe that it's a, um, a, a farm community that uh, is where you raise livestock and kids and families. And we didn't want to see that type of commercial go up. So we as a community pulled together. We also went over to the Green Valley Civic Association group because we knew at the time they were the most powerful political group in all of Poway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went in there and I talked and I got their support. And when it came down to the decision making, after Zip went through the city and, and uh, it went to vote, the people decided that we weren't going to have this commercial um, uh, strip mall up up on top of Highway 67. Mm-hmm. So where I'm going on this is what are the people that are right next to the where the golf course is that are going to be right where the farm would be, what do they really want? Mm-hmm. Um, when I had the chance to make a decision on what was going on on Highway 67, I pulled my resources together. I pulled the people together, and we made a decision. Now, see, I'm all the way up on Highway 67. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make a decision for someone all the way on down the Spola Road where the, uh, um, the old golf course was. I think the decision should be made by the people that live there that are going to be most impacted. I'm going to be the least impacted guy in Poway. I'm the last one on the top of the mountain. And that's at the other end. So remember I said people come first. What do the people want? The people want the farm. Let the people have the farm. If the people are against the farm, then what else do they want there? How do they want that land to be dealt with? But it should be the people's voice. It shouldn't be about making money. It shouldn't be about anything else other than the people. And uh, that, that's and I've told that to Kevin. Kevin and I have actually talked about it. I said, you know, I can support your, your, your farm because it, it's a great project. Mm-hmm. It has great, you know, amenities to it. it, it it's, it's beautiful. I, I mean, I myself, if I got off the mountain, I would consider living down there. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, right now I don't. So what do the people think? Do they want it? And I, I think the people need to show up at the city council meeting and they need to voice their view and they need to write each one of the city council members and they need to say, we want this and they should get what they want. Well, when you were walking the streets um, up in that area around the former Stone Ridge Golf Course, what were the people there telling you? What were the comments of the neighbors about the current state of, of, the, of the land at Stone Ridge and their opinion of the project, the farm project? What were you hearing? 
Yeah, I heard some of the worst stuff. You know, it's like it was a fire hazard. Um, I heard people say that, you know, my property value has, has dropped down. Um, my house is right back to it. And, and I'm, you know, I'm worried, what are they going to do here? Um, I heard people say, well, what, what if they put tennis courts right behind my house and, you know, a parking lot and what's that going to be like? And then at the, and the other thing is people said that they were tired of looking at all the weeds and they're, you know, tired of some of the vandalism that was occurring there. And they were saying, we just want something done. Um, and we want it done fast. So, you know, it was, it was really a mixture of, of people. And I made sure that I asked people from, from, you know, from different age groups and in, in different households. Um, you know, one lady was a, a, a renter and she said, I wish I could vote and make a decision. She goes, I would like to see, you know, it developed into more condos like the one I'm living in. Mm-hmm. And then I had a, a, another guy said, let's just let it go natural. And, you know, like the fact that, you know, we have trails and we could use more trails and um, let, let's keep the natural terrain and, and let it just go wild. So, you know, I heard such a variety of, uh, of thoughts there um, that, that really said that uh, it, it was um, you know, a, a true collective of, 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 of different views. But when I went to the uh, meeting at uh, Painted Rock, I heard different. I heard most of the people were nodding their head. They were looking at it. They, they seemed like they were supportive of, of, the, uh, of the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to the city council uh, uh, presentation, um, by the planning group, I saw most of the people ask great questions, and I saw a lot of support there again for it. So, um, when there's been meetings, I've heard most people nod their head and say yes. When I've talked to individuals, I've heard some no's, some it doesn't matter, and some yeses. Hmm. Well, you know, as a as a longtime Poway uh, resident, as a, a you know, you gone and knocked on the doors. What's your instinct tell you? Because this is going to go on the ballot in November. I mean, it's not a done deal, but it likely is going to happen. Um, and then the voters will have a chance to vote to change Prop FF to rezone that land. And then they're going to also have the opportunity to sort of lock in the plan that Kevin McNamara has presented. It's all kind of one vote. How do you think that's going to uh, go here? Is it going to be another no like we had a few years ago? Or do you think the voters are going to say yes? Well, you got to remember, um, before Kevin got this, it was the developer from up in Beverly Hills. and uh, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had the Escondido um, manure thing that he pulled on the people. The, mm-hmm. um, he ended up buying out the uh, the Rancho Penasquitas, you know, golf course in that area. Um, the people in Poway are different. And I, I think that uh, um, we want to say, we really want to say and what's going to go on. We also want um, it to be the right thing for people. So, you know, I, 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 I think as long as it goes open to the people for decision-making, there's going to be people that are unhappy with it, but at the very end, majority rules. And I think uh, the people are going to be satisfied. Okay. Well, there you are. The the humanist fill factor, whatever the people want, the people should get, right? That's right. People first. Okay. There you go. Um, So yeah, let's, um, if you don't mind, can we just sort of switch gears a little bit, um, you know, and and talk a little bit more broadly about some of these um, 
larger issues that are happening. We see them on the news, you know, related to um, equal rights and police brutality. And and even here locally in Poway, we've seen protesters out on the streets. Um, They've been very peaceful, uh, but very loud and firm in their opinions. What's your take on what's happening in America right now? Well, I, I don't consider this right now. I consider it going all the way back to Reconstruction era. Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, I, I truly believe that um, we're talking about over 400 years of a problem that is that we weren't treating people equal. Right. And when we when people came to this country, some people were not considered humans. And the fact is they got it wrong because all humans are we're humans. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and, and, and we're not black and white and brown and Native American and whatever you want to identify, we're human and human first. Mm-hmm. And that's where we got it wrong. You know, as great as this country is, and I know I've heard you say it, I, I know that it's, it's what this show is all about. It's called Life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That's right. <laughs> and where did that come from? That even came longer than 400 years. That, that came from the, the, the time period where, you know, the, the light bulb finally turned on and we were supposed to take a look and say, how are we going to change this king and queen and emperor stuff? It was the period of enlightenment. That's right. And those uh, um, great philosophers came up with some pretty darn good ideas. And when we built this country, when the first explorers came over here and the first people that came over to colonize, um, a lot of them wanted the freedoms that you're talking about. They wanted religious freedom. They didn't want to have slavery. They didn't want to have anybody tell them how they're going to build their house and where they're going to build their house. They wanted to come over here and have prosperity. And they wanted to be able to raise their family in a place that they felt comfortable. And then what happened was people got greedy and greed and, and um, bad decisions um, brought over hate and discrimination, violence. You know, we're talking about what's going on right now. And, you know, often I put my, shoes on and I think okay these aren't the same shoes that the Native Americans wear you know how how do you what are they thinking right now as we're going through all this stuff in this country you know are they thinking they're corned beef or chopped liver you know I'm I'm thinking that we left them out of of all the laws and all the rules and all the decisions and we lied to them right from the get-go right from the very beginning um, and, 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 and believe me, um, black lives do matter. And uh, they, mm-hmm. it, it's so important to me, but it, it's all human beings that matter. And I think we've done a poor job of that. And this is a perfect time for us. I, I see it in our youth. I, I, I really have that, that sense. In the last three weeks, something positive is going to happen people are going to realize that we've had it wrong for over 400 years and we're going to start caring about people. We're going to start caring about how we treat people, not only under the law. Okay. But next door neighbors, how we treat people in the classroom, how we treat people when they walk into a doctor's office, how we walk, 
treat people when they walk into the city council meeting and they get to that podium and they want to speak? Are we going to judge them based on their skin color or, or, you know, that they have the, the, uh, um, the best looking shoes in town, <laughs> or are we going to treat them as people and people are human? Um, there, there was something else that I, I'd mentioned to you one of the times that we were talking prior to the show. And I said, you know, I'm a humanist. And when I'm asked to fill out um, some kind of information sheet about employment or the census or whatever, and I'm asked questions like, what gender are you? Uh, what race are you? You know, what ethnicity are you? You know what my answer is? Human. Right on. That's the race, right? <laughs> Human. So mm-hmm. we're all one category. We're all one category. So that's one of the things is that when I hear my friends who are um, have been discriminated against, including me, mm-hmm. I, I start thinking, why? What's, what's been going on? Um, and I want to also share this. All the way back into uh, 1971, when I was off at UC Riverside getting my undergraduate degree, my uh, first roommates were teammates on my UCR football team, and they were black. And I had never, ever been around a whole lot of black people, although I had black people on my football team, and they were all my good friends. But uh, I live with black people, and I was so inspired by their culture and who they were that I ended up taking black studies classes at UC Riverside. Right on. So the thing I remember most was walking in the class the first day. So when you take a black studies class and you walk in and you're, well, I'm, I've never been called white. Um, I've always had a, a skin color that's, that says, well, who are you? You know, what are you? <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm human. But right. um, I walk into the black studies class and I take a seat and I start looking around and there's about three or four, you know, white guys in there and everybody else is black. And the professor says, oh, tables turned. You guys are finally figuring out what it's like to be chocolate chip ice cream. In this case, the ice cream is chocolate and you're the white chips. <laughs> right on. And, and I started thinking about that is, you know, it, it, for me, it was a great thing because I was accepted. I was respected. And I had lots of friends in that class. And I never felt what the black people feel when they walk the streets in Poway or Rancho Bernardo or Rancho Penasquitas or where they're considered as a smaller population, a minority, a true minority in terms of number count. Um, Because I felt comfortable being in that black studies class, I started acculturating. I started assimilating into their hand clap and everything, you know, started walking their walk, talking their talk and really enjoying the music and, 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 you know, yeah, all aspects, including art that uh, they were sharing in their black art. My next class that I took was a Russian studies class. Now you got to remember this is 1972, 73 Cold War time. So I'm taking a Russian studies class at UC Riverside. I walk in and I'm thinking, this is going to be like the Black Studies class. I'm going to learn some Russian culture. Right. I walk in, and they're all looking at me. They start talking, and I'm not talking back. 
because they're speaking Russian. Oh, my. Okay. I was truly an outsider. And there was definitely a lot of animosity in that room that I felt because Mm -hmm. I was the American and they were the Russians that came in and they had their own Russian community. And I truly was an outsider. And it made me start thinking, now the table is really clear, okay, that I'm coming into a place that's not a safe place for Phil Factor. (laughs) They made me feel unsafe. Mm. So how does this all fit? Let's go back to the original part. Have we really made everybody who has come to this country welcome, feel welcome? Or do we treat them as outsiders? So, you know, in, in Poway, what would it be like to not be white and live in Poway, California? Would you really be accepted? Would you really be one of those people that are embraced? Would you be included or excluded? You know, one of the things that uh, I used to hear was, if you're black and you live in Poway, you must be, oh, your dad must be a professional athlete or your mom must be. (laughs) Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to live in Poway. Mm -hmm. People used to say that all the time. Mm -hmm. And I used to say, what are you talking about? There's many people of all cultures that live in Poway, but you're saying if you're black, your parents must be rich and they must be athletes. And I thought, wow, what an attitude. That's not the attitude that I would like to, you know, see go in, in, in a community that I love, but it was there. Um, and, and I also want to share that uh, um, I, had, I've, I had foster kids this past year, uh, Wards of the Court, which is a total another topic wow. there. Wow. But uh, um, we, my wife and I, for six months, um, helped these kids whose mom was being incarcerated. And uh, my grandniece, she came in and, and one night and she said, you know, we had an assembly. And I said, oh, yeah, what went on? And she said that they were talking about Meadowbrook, but they didn't call it Meadowbrook. They called it Ghetto Brook. And I started thinking about, wow, here we go again. More of this discrimination and segregation and separation and all the wrong things that, you know, are, you know, it's still in our community. So um, flip back to the original part, 400 plus years. And we're now in the year 2020 and uh, we still have issues in our own community that definitely need work. So that's one of the things that I have some recommendations here and some some really strong things that I think can make a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And and a lot of it goes to the type of training that I had when I was a teacher in the Poway Unified School District um, back in the 1990s and and 2000s um, because we actually went through training on race relations and and how people can get along. So this is going to kind of blow your mind, but um, I did some extraordinary things as a teacher. One of them was on the very first day, I told my students that they were going to have dinner at one another's homes. Hmm. And so when, when, and they're looking at me, they're going, Oh, you know, and I said, yep, that's it. I'm going to take a hat. I'm going to put your name in the hat and I'm going to pull and you're going to have dinner at a stranger's home. You're going to get to know them and they're going to get to know you. And then you're going to, you're going to reverse it. And the idea there was, is that it would be a respect of cultural diversity. 
because at Mount Carmel High School, we had kids from all different cultures that were right there as students. And I thought it was it, it would be the only way to start breaking down some of those barriers is for the students to get to know one another outside of the classroom. That's right. Get to know what that kid faces when they go home. And um, I got some beautiful stories. I'll, I'll give you one. This is right when uh, um, Vietnam started, uh, um, uh, when, when the United States started allowing the refugees from Vietnam, the boat kids over here, and they were sponsored. And I, I remember I had a young man that um, was Vietnamese, spoke very little English, but uh, he came into my sociology class. And uh, sure enough, he's going to have dinner at someone else's house. And he had he he picked a black kid's home that lived at the right across from what we used to call the Pink Palace, Double Tree. And so he lived in the projects actually in 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 Rancho Penasquitas. And he was scared to death because you know he had never ever really seen a whole lot of black people. And here he is, Vietnamese, and he's, he's going, oh, Mr. Factor, you know, what do I do? And, you know, he's, I said, just go. Yeah. So anyway, I had the kids do a write-up and, and then eventually talk about it. And he said that it was the greatest experience he ever had. And this is what happened. He went over to the black kid's house. He went over there. The family just took him in, welcomed him. They had dinner. They just had a great night. His little sister put on a fashion show. Little eight-year-old put on a fashion show for him. Nice. And at the end of the night, she fell asleep with her head on his lap. And this young Vietnamese boy wrote about this experience. And he said, if it wasn't for this assignment, he wouldn't have this new friend. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right see, on. That was the type of assignment <laughs> that started bringing people together and started allowing kids of different color, the opportunity to meet kids from different cultures. So um, when I didn't do that assignment, we would have, cause I taught ESS or no, it was called ESL. Then it become an ELL. So anyway, it was the kids that came from different countries that couldn't speak English. And I taught social science to them. So in my class, I'd have a kid from Sweden. I'd have a kid from Taiwan. I'd have kids that came from Afghanistan and, and Iraq and Iran. They all called themselves Persians, okay, because they didn't really want you to know that they were from the country that was having conflict on that given day with the United States. Right. But anyway. They were all in my class. And you know the way we got those kids to all get along? We had dinner together. We would have cultural dinners. In fact, we actually gave them their first Thanksgiving dinner, okay, at one of the teachers' homes. And uh, my mother-in-law and my wife made turkeys and, and pies. And these kids sat and had their first American Thanksgiving right there. And, and that was a way that we were able to not – we were able to break barriers, cultural barriers to get people to accept one another. So as we're talking about race relations and getting people along and, and, and bringing people together, one of my answers is, is to get people to accept culture and to share culture and to be able to not just go to the Mexican food restaurant or go to the soul food restaurant or go to um, some kind of ethnic restaurant but actually to get to know the people, okay, 
that come from that community. Um, I was talking to uh, one of our other leaders, great leader in, in Poway, Tori Powers. Oh, yeah. And uh, her and I are kind of kicking it around about doing something um, which would be a cultural fair, a cultural parade, a cultural activity where we can start bringing people in, which would start breaking some of these things that you, that, that are derogatory or negative or discriminatory by bringing people together and have them see one another's culture will get them to accept one another's culture. Right. Let me ask you a question. Sure. All right, here we go. I'm going to kind of play school teacher here for a while. Okay. In your uh, previous show, about two shows back, Mm -hmm. you said you were white four times. I I counted. Okay. All right. All right. So here we go. We're going to start off. Who is John Riley? Who are you? Um, I'm a I'm a husband, a father. I'm a a, a Powegian. I'm um I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a podcaster. But you, I wouldn't describe myself as white. That's not how I characterize myself. I did, I guess, in that episode to provide context to some of the comments I was making. But that's a fair question. To ask me. Yeah. You know, we had uh, 30 people going through a workshop in uh, the county ed office down in San Diego, and everybody did exactly what you did. I'm, I'm Phil Factor. I'm age 67. Um, I don't identify with any religion. I'm married. I have two kids. I have five grandkids. I now have a great grandkid. Um I would consider myself middle class. I'm educated. I have a master's degree. Um, I love watching football, and um, I I consider myself a humanist. Mm. The very last guy went, and it was his turn, and we looked, and he said, simple answer, I'm a human. And I thought to myself, bingo. Mm. I said, that's what we all have in common. Mm Mm-hmm. The other stuff separates us and distinguishes us as being different from one another. But bottom line is what we have in common, bottom line, we're all people, we're all human. And I started thinking about that. And I'm thinking that so often um, we put people in categories. And for what reason? Why is that? And the the big talk now with the the back. Black Lives Matter, which was your original thing. You're saying we have these protests and we have all these things going on and, you know, George Floyd and we've had, you know, Aubrey and all these other, you know, situations with law enforcement. But we've had situations in schools. Mm -hmm. We've had situations in medical treatment. Mm -hmm. Right now, you know, statistically, there are more black Americans percent that are dying, you know, from the virus than there are white Americans. Right. And, and, and we, we keep on saying why and why does all this stuff happen and why is it going on this way? But the, the point that I'm going to make is, is that we have not addressed the fact that we're all people and we've categorized people. And then what we do is we start giving, you know, we start giving them less, Um, Someone said this um, just the other day, I heard it, is that by you just saying your name is John Riley gives your identity. Because if you had a name that was Hispanic 
and your name was um, Pedro Morales. Mm. Or your name was, um, I'll just think of uh, a black name. I say, give me one. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay. So all of a sudden, just by that name, you're going to say, well, you know, that that person's from a different culture, not part of that white stream culture. Right. So are are they going to get the job? Are they going to are, are they going to get pigeonholed into this this other area where they don't have the same rights? Mm-hmm. That, that's that's the thing. We got to start teaching right from the get go in in you know in in our schools that all kids are human, mm-hmm. and that it doesn't matter um, it doesn't matter on what your race is. What matters is is who you are as a person and who you are inside. Yes. And we need to continually work on that. Um, when when do we become to the point where we start becoming racist and discriminatory and, and, and against people? What happens in, in between that time when you're a young kid to the time that you end up becoming that adult? Mm. You know, that, that, we need to make sure that that missing piece is there. And, and you know, kids go home and they hear things from their parents. Kids go out to the community and they see things. Right. And and are we teaching them the right things? Are we saying the right things to them? Are they experiencing the right things as they go through those steps? And I think that's why this Black Lives Matter really is important now and in the future, not just because of changing the stranglehold or their, you know, the the the, the way that law enforcement has been doing its job. This isn't about just law enforcement. This is about the 400 years of treatment, mistreatment of people. And um, we have a, we have a chance to clean that up. So do I think everybody should have dinner at each other's homes? Do I think that in a neighborhood that we should go back to block parties? Why not? What's wrong with having everybody in your on your street, no matter who they are, come together and enjoy an evening together and get to know one another as neighbors? Then bring in the sheriff department and do a neighborhood watch. Let them know that they're the, that the sheriff is there to serve and protect right. the neighborhood. Right. So now you got people eating, accepting one another in the neighborhood. You got people all getting to know one another. Kids getting to know one another. They're having a great time. The adults are breaking down the barriers. Now, that's the next part that I'm going to talk about is when you're an adult, what role modeling are you doing? How often do you bring people of color into your household? And I brought people into my household all the time of all flavors, and there was a reason why. Not only were they my friends, but I want to model that for my kids. I wanted my children to see that their dad and their mom had friends of all different cultural backgrounds and they could swim in our pool. They could eat at our dinner table and they could come onto our property and feel comfortable without feeling alienated, feeling like they're a chocolate chip in a vanilla ice cream jar. Okay. And, and I, I think that's the, the, the next big part here is how do you break the barriers you need to set a positive role model and a, an example for kids. And you need to show that you, too, are willing to learn about other cultures and, and bring them into your, your life. 
Mm-hmm. And then the, the last part that I think is really important is to trust. I, I think trust is, is something that we um, have messed up on. And being a humanist, um, Eric Erickson talks about trust and mistrust. Mm-hmm. And it, it occurs between the age of zero and four years old as, as you know, it, it, it's a psychology thing. Um, most people don't trust one another who are different from you. If you're different from someone, right. there's right. mistrust. So how do we get to the point early on in that we can trust people, people that look different from us, people that are different from us? And I'm also talking about social economically. That that's way important because we do have classism here, which is also a big part of that 400 year thing that I'm talking about. Right, right. We always have had the haves and the have-nots. Am I talking too much? No, you're not. No, this is good. <laughs> I mean, because you know, I think you're bringing up a lot of important topics that are relevant right now. That's you know going on in the news in our culture today. Um, but we're getting a great insight into who Phil Factor is right now. And yeah. and I think, you know, as we're getting into the campaign season and gonna, people are going to be evaluating you um, as a potential candidate for city council, we're really understanding what drives you, what your values are. I think this is fantastic. I'm, I'm loving this conversation. I'm learning Thanks. so much. Thanks. Um, I had a, a football player uh, – Kid's, kid's name is Wade Lindenberger back in the 1980s. Mm. And uh, he went through Meadowbrook, little blonde-haired kid, kind of looked like uh, um, Barney uh, Rebel. You know, kind of like, <laughs> you know, kind of short, stocky yeah, guy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I had him as a student. I had him on my football team. And no matter what he did, he was a standout. And uh, I just fell in love with him. And it, it was like I, I had a, a younger brother that I could, you know, work out with. And he and I would do bar dips together and we would go to the bench press and, you know, but a uh, very bright young man and, and uh, um, one that I just enjoy. Well, anyway, just uh, the other day, he wrote me a letter and shared it on Facebook that uh, as a professor at UCSD, he uh, um, was just awarded the first time uh, Teacher of the Year Award. Wow. Um, by his uh, group of students that were working on their master's degree. Nice. And uh, he was sharing that the fact that as their professor, that the award wasn't the important thing. What was important is what they got out of the class. And, 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 you know, I I wrote him back and I said, you know, you really got it, Wade. You you really realized that it wasn't just the curriculum. It was the people and that you reached them and they reached you. And for that, they got a great education and they honored you with something that for them was a way of saying, yes, you did it. You orchestrated the perfect class. You put us through a program that we're going to be able to utilize for the rest of our lives, and we're never going to forget you. Um, and Wade thanked me because he said he learned that from me. And, you know, that's – I was fortunate. Like I said, I had a career at Mount Carmel High School and working in the district where the glove really fit as a football coach and, and as a teacher – 
Um, you know, and, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say it to everybody. You know, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I am one of the most loving guys in the world. Mm-hmm. I have passion. Um, I'm, I'm one that if you played football for me or you were in my classroom, you were counted and you were important. And I made the best of um, caring about you. And that's, that's, you know, that's, when, when you ask that question, as a politician, what are you going to do for Poway? I'm going to bring it heart. I'm going to bring the heart back into that group of five that, that sit in front of the podium. I'm going to bring heart to it. And, and it, you know, I'm going to listen to some of the other wise guys that are up there. And, and, and I know they have some great answers. But I'm always going to ask, are they considering people first? And that's how I'm going to make my decisions. Um, and, and I'm going to say this to you. If I do not get elected, it's because Poway found someone that was going to do the job better than Phil Factor. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not running against Barry Leonard. I'm running for a position that I think that he's had for six years. It's my turn. I would like to have a chance. <laughs> but, but I'm going to tell you right now, I like Barry Leonard. I like what he says. I like a lot of things that he stands for. Disagree with a lot of the stuff, but guess what? He's not my enemy because if you really love people, you don't have those enemies. Okay. You include people. You don't exclude people. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to clarify that, that I'm not running against anybody. I'm running for the opportunity to serve this community and uh, I'm going to take a different approach. Another approach, you're going to be really surprised at this. The endorsements that I get are going to be from my family. I start off with endorsements from my grandkids. In fact, today I wrote that my great-grandson is going to endorse Phil Factor. I saw that post. (laughs) My next endorsement is going to come from my wife, my two sons, and my daughter-in-law's. And then I'm going to open it up to all the friends that I have, people that I've taught, people in the community. I am not going to ask for any political endorsements, any fire department endorsements or sheriff department or developers. But if you're out there and you want to endorse Phil Factor, you'll have that opportunity. And there's a reason why I believe that is because I want to include people, not exclude people. And I don't want to put name tags of endorsements, okay, of organizations like the union or whatever in front of people. It's the people that are going to endorse me. So I'm going to be the people's candidate and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to ask groups to endorse. So, you know, when when I'm out there and people are going to say, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? I'm a Powesian. I'm Phil Factor. Right on. And and I'm I'm that guy that uh, um, wants to be, um, that person that puts four years of really caring in, caring about the community. Besides, I'm retired. What else do I have to do? (laughs) (laughs) This is, I mean, this has been a a remarkable conversation, learning about your perspective on the city of Poway, your perspective on people, and what drives you as a people person, as a humanist. Um, this is this is remarkable. And I think the way that you are explaining how you're going to come forward with your campaign, um, you're going to do it differently. You're going to be a different kind of candidate 
And I think that's going to be very refreshing. I think people are going to embrace that. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to how this campaign season rolls out. Thanks. You have something very special to offer, and I think that's terrific. Thank Thanks. So I do have some problems. Um, one of them is weight gain, and uh, um, it's it's been my lifetime challenge. Uh, People used to see me in Poway at uh, about 185, 195 pounds running the street and sometimes without my shirt on, always going to the signal and raising my hand and clapping for myself. Um, but I've been fighting the weight, and um, I, I am a part of a, a, a weight program group, but I haven't been following those 12 steps, and it's been a, a struggle. Um, I even wrote it on my resolution for, you know, the New Year's that I was going to work on losing weight. So it's uh, um, right now you're looking at uh, a guy that's hitting 300 pounds, and I should be 190 pounds. And, you know, it, it is my shortcoming. It, it, it does change um, my social disposition in, in terms of the comfort zone. And uh, um, so, you know, I I, want to tell you guys, as I'm talking as a humanist, I am human and I I do have my faults and I do have struggles just like everybody else. Um, My struggle isn't what a black man would have in in walking down the street of Poway. Um, My struggle right now is is something that uh, um, I've done to myself. And that is I've, I've put this hand into my mouth and you know I've gained the weight that I should have never ever gained um, and you know when I look at the amount of food that I eat um, it's not uh, one taco it's two tacos it's not one spare rib it's four spare ribs and uh, it's something I control if I was black I can't change that if I was brown I can't change that if I was of a different culture I can't change that if I was a little person living in Poway I can't change it. I am who I am. So how do we as people, how do we as people include them instead of exclude them? And one of the ways is, is let's look at how we treat people. Do we look them in the eyes? Do we talk to them? Or are we afraid of them? Do we trust them or do we mistrust them? How do we bring them into our community so that they really belong? Or do we say, oh, those are the kids that go to Ghetto Brook? Mm-hmm. Or do we say to the kid, hey, your dad must be a professional athlete? Or do we say to the kid, oh, you must go to Midland Elementary because you walked to school. And, and your parents walked you to school instead of drove you to school. See, that. Those are all issues. Those are all things. What we need to do is make everybody feel important and make everybody feel that they are a part of Poway, a part of our community, and that we respect them, we trust them, we include them, and we consider them our our community. And we don't consider one in... John, do you, do you realize that there's a real division in Poway politically from what people say on the internet? There's North Poway and there's South Poway. Mm-hmm. When I speak to the people of South Poway, what do they usually say? We're the forgotten ones. Mm-hmm. We're the true. ones that, that are treated like chopped liver or corned beef. We're the ones that 
um, aren't being included or excluding them. So does that really exist? Well, enough people say that. So how do we get through that? Is it a political division? Is it a social economic division? Is it a race or ethnicity division? I think a lot of people consider it a social economic division. Right. And it's it, it's something that continues to come up over and over and over in Poway politics. So what's the best way to handle that? How do we get through that? And, and, and one of the things is make sure that the South has a voice. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the South can see what's going on, that we don't hide things. To make sure that we're including them, not excluding them. Mm-hmm. To make sure that when they come to the podium, they're heard and not looked at, okay, as second class or you're from South Poway. I think the most important thing is, is that we look at them as being from Poway. Right. And we don't look at North and South. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, 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 that's something way important. Um, and it's become more definite, you know, that we've had that division. And it doesn't, it doesn't taste good for Poway. It's not a good taste. What do you think? You know, I, I, I lived about 11 years in South Poway, and I've lived now um, 13 years in North Poway. So I've kind of experienced both. Um, there is a – it's interesting because – The southern part of the city is where there's a lot more rental property, a lot more apartments. There's also, you know, obviously a much larger commercial area. So the community is different in the southern part than in the northern part. And so decisions that are made, um, like, for example, the development on Poway Road, the um, putting in more of those condominiums and the apartments that are going in, it. It's it's that kind of construction already exists in South Poway, and so it's it's interesting how the the two different parts of the city have kind of different needs, different issues, different concerns. There's a socioeconomic, but then other times you'll bring this up with people, and they refuse to see it. They they'll say we're all Poway, and why do you need to divide us? So. I think the concerns of a lot of the people in South Poway are legitimate, at least the ones that I've been hearing. Um, But it's hard um, because the southern part of the city is built in a certain way to accommodate more of that commercial traffic. So, yeah, I, I just I know the division exists. I understand it. I'm not sure exactly how we overcome it. I think part of it is giving them a voice. And I think the voice that they have now is a candidate that was elected, but isn't really someone that has from the, the roots of South Poway. And I think there's skepticism amongst the people that live in South Poway. And I think a lot of that potentially could change in the November election because District 4 is going to have a voice for the very first time. Right. And I think that will bring a lot to Poway. I've talked to one of the candidates for that area, and um, this person has shared a lot of their ideas. Um, and I do think that they have that all in mind, that 
that they realize the transparency and the um, voice of the people in that community um, need to be a part of all of Poway. Um, you know, the one thing is, and, and I'll say it because Kevin and I, McNamara and I have talked a little bit, but I was disappointed in the fact that there wasn't some homes there that were for low income and uh, that didn't accommodate people um, that were going to be subsidized, that, you know, the homes there are, are all going to be big price homes. And, you know, I, I understand it's, it's, it's a community that is very affluent. You know, it's, it's my district that I will represent, but I also am concerned that the kids that live there um, are going to school with the kids that are very much just like them, that it's not a very diverse community um, and that they're missing They're missing out on, the, on some of the things that um, life experience offers. And so for, you know, it, it's interesting. It, when I went to UC Riverside, one of the uh, junior highs burned down and uh, it was in the, uh, the area of um, usually the, the lowest class and in, in, in Rancho Bernard in, uh, in, UC, in Riverside, it, it was a, a, a very mixed community. I mean, there was just as many poor white people as there were poor black people. Right. But uh, the, the junior high um, burned down and what happened was they, they started busing. That's why they bust before, you know, we, we thought that that was going to integrate schools. They had to bus. Okay. before forced busing occurred because those kids had to go to school and those kids went to about three or four of the different junior highs. They spread them out. And, and the experience that those kids got going to school with these kids from this lower class, you know, area was very enriched. And they 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 actually did a did a study on that, and they compared it with um, uh, an area right near Stanford near Menlo Park, and where they did some of those other experiments like that. But they found that uh, um, integrating schools um, was the answer to a lot of the racial um, stuff that was going on, and that was you know back in the nineteen seventies. Um, are we integrated as a school district? Are our kids getting the same experience? I, I know that when I taught at Malcolm L High School, it was very, very, very multi-diverse. <clears throat> kids would come from Poway High that were kids of color. And when they transferred over to Mount Carmel, they said, oh, this is a lot different. It's not clicky. And we feel a lot more comfortable now that we're at Mount Carmel High School. So I asked that to my sons that were at Poway High. And they did share the fact that the kids don't mix over at Poway High, okay, at least in, in, in their eyes. Yeah, they had kids on their team that were black and a couple of Filipino kids and, and some Hispanic kids. But for the most part, the white kids hang around the white kids, the black kids hang around the black kids, and the brown hang around brown and Asian hang around Asian, whatever group. They, they, but there wasn't so much interaction. There wasn't, you know, a mixture there. So I, I think that's that's a big part of it is how do we get the communities to, to engage in um, – accepting diversity and being able to, you know, kind of cross fold. Well, maybe 
if it doesn't happen through the schools, maybe it can be through other activities. And that's why I was suggesting, you know, as mentioned earlier with Tory Powers, is to start doing some of this cultural fair and, and mm-hmm. some of the activities. That well, I think the cultural fairs could be, they could be terrific. But there is one thing that I think we're doing in Poway Unified that's very helpful on this front. Like, take a look at Valley Elementary, which is, you know, the school right near City Hall. Yes. It's, a, it's set up as a bilingual immersion school. It's Spanish and English taught together. And anyone could apply to go to that school. And so um, one of my previous guests, Gabby Dow and her husband, Steve, they have two children that went to that school and they were able, again, there was a little bit of cross-pollination, a little bit of integration, um, exposure to more diversity. I think it's terrific. Um, And I would love to see more of that in our school district. I I totally agree. And hats off to Gabby and her husband for for doing that. Um, And I know that um, from all the positive things I've heard about her is that that's the type of modeling that we need where where parents are going to say, I want my kid to get a rounded education and I want them to have the opportunity to have the social interaction with diverse populations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, That right there, you know, we don't have to, build homes in this area or build homes in that area, if we could have kids decide, parents decide that they're going to start going to different schools, yeah. they, they would do it themselves. Of course, how do they get there? That's also the issue, you know, the busing yeah. and everything else. But, um, you know, one battle at a time, one solution, you know, we can come up with solutions. But I, I think you mentioned, you know, something way important. It's the parents that made that decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The parents saw the value in those kids going to Valley Elementary, and and that 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 right there, um, what a that's a paycheck. That's a oh, paycheck yeah. in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very valuable, and you know, even at the high school level, there's some of this. Um, for example, Westview has an ROTC program that the other high schools don't have. And so there's a little bit of then you know, reasons for people to come together that share a certain set of values, right? Um, so I think if we had those incentives, I think we'd see a lot more cross-pollination. Um, like but that. yeah, I think you, 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 get it, you mentioned it earlier. I think just sitting down for dinner with people, man, getting to know people for real, you know, not just superficially, that's important. Um, mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, what do you think? Uh, with let me ask you this question: With all the uh, cancellations that we have, and you know the the fact that we're we're coming out of our homes slow, are we going to get back to the point where um, we can socialize and that we can start some of this or? Is it going to be one more delay after another in, in, in terms of – I know, like, my grandkids, they've been in their household now for over two months, and they're really social kids. Um, they miss their friends. They, 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 you know, they had their little promotion drive through at Terra Bonita, but um, – are kids going to be able to get back into school and have the, the social interaction that they need, not just the education, but the social interaction. And, you know, here we are talking about race relations and we're talking about, but we're also looking at, you know, right now we've just spent two months isolating ourselves. Yeah. Right. So I'm concerned I, I, about I'm that sure. because 
the schools, we're not even sure what's going to happen in the fall. If if they're going to be back to the way it used to be or if we're going to have distance learning or if there's some combination of the two. I don't think Poway Unified has really figured it out yet. Um, But I know, speaking for myself, I'm desperate for more social interaction. I would love to have you, Pete, uh, excuse me, Phil, I'd love to have you here, Phil, in my home to do this podcast rather than doing it over Zoom. I mean, we're only a few miles apart. And this Um, is kind of freaky, huh? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so we miss that. That that human connection. Um, so yeah, you're not going to get the hug afterwards. I'm going to have to do it from here. I know. Oh yeah, that I'm going to miss on that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm concerned. I, I don't know how we're going to open up. Um, I don't know if there's going to be more delays. We're already talking about a second wave. I think parts of the country. I know Arizona is experiencing a second wave. Who knows? Um, I know there's the the state is starting to open some things up. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are very concerned. They're saying, "Oh, it's too early. It's too early." But we are. It's tough to get through this. It's not easy. You know, speaking of the times, you know, I'd like to just mention the the protests that we've been seeing in in our own community, and I would really like to um, congratulate the kids that. Um, led those protests and I would like to also congratulate um, our sheriff department and, and uh, our, our safety people uh, I'd like to also thank the uh, city council um, and our mayor for supporting it um, and it and it just goes to show that um, the voice of people were you know was able to be heard and that um, we do have respect I, I, you know, it was hard to see those buildings, you know, boarded up. And I'm thinking, did they really have to do that? Was that necessary? Um, the fear that break-ins were going to occur. You know, I'm not a, a, a shop owner or a bank um, manager or president, but um, the fact is, is that we didn't have any of that. And that um, we did ourselves proud. And that, that to me, you know, is going back to this hope and, and this great community and the people that were involved was a very diverse population. We even had a, a, a lady that was in her 80s that, that, that joined in. I have, a, I have a friend that joined in with her daughter. That, that was there and, and uh, um, people honking and waving. And, but it was mainly the youth. And that's, that's a promise. That's a promise. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, even though we have been going through some pretty tough times, um, at the same time, we've seen some, some good and and maybe some of the things that we're talking about Poway and and some of the division and some of the um, stuff that um, we've experienced in our generation, maybe this next generation is going to do it much better. And I, I sure hope the heck they do. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be right behind them all the way <laughs> saying, go do it. And, uh, supporting that idea. Um, so, yep. I think it's a continuous process. You know, we, we get better as individuals, we get better as a society, we get better every subsequent generation. Um, it's not easy. I, I was also very pleased with what I saw here in Poway. Um, young people, um, people coming together for all the right reasons, done peacefully. 
I think, you know, some people were nervous because of what happened in La Mesa, you know, where part of the city was put on fire. So I, it, it made sense that there was some caution, but in the end, it all worked out great, you know. So now it's just a matter of getting that message heard and making the necessary adjustments in our society so we treat humans equally. Right. What, what do you think law enforcement's thinking right now, at least in Poway? How are, how are they feeling? Do they feel that um, we want to defund them or that we're disrespecting them or that we're looking up to them? Or what? I haven't talked to anybody that's in law enforcement um, since all this George Floyd um, and the Black Lives Matter uh, stuff came to service. And, and by the way, Black Lives Matter occurred way before what happened right. three weeks ago That's and right. uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick, I'll, I'll tell you what, I always respected the guy. Yeah. Right. On. And, I, did too. Uh, I, I always felt that him putting his knee out, knee down and uh, um, having a stand, even though it's not something I would do, because I always was taught to, you know, stand up for the national anthem and always have, but for him to make that stand because he wanted to let people know that it wasn't right on the way black people were being treated. He's a hero in my eyes. Oh, he, a hero? He, and what he did was patriotic because yes. he was, and I'll say standing up, although he was kneeling, he was standing up for what makes America really great. You know, the old the notion that, you know, all men are created equal. Well, really, all people are created equal. All humans are created equal. And we all deserve our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And people, black people, were not experiencing that to the same degree. And in some cases, having their liberty and their life snuffed out. So, you know, you ask, what what does the Poway Sheriff think about all of this? And yeah. I haven't talked to anyone. My hunch would be that generally speaking, I'm sure there's concern because there's a bit of a anti-police fervor that's kind of rippling through society, they probably also know, recognize that in Poway, um, the community is generally very supportive of the police. The city council is very supportive of the police. Um, with our city council, the way it's currently constructed, I can't even imagine in a million years they would ever consider defunding the sheriff's department. Um, so from that perspective, I'm sure the Poway sheriff has a certain sense of security, but they know that things are happening in society that are far larger than them. And they know that something could happen just like what happened in La Mesa, where there was a protest right up to the police station. There were people um, aggressively throwing things at the police, spraying graffiti on the police station, I mean, it wouldn't take much for the scale to tip in that direction. Right. You mind if I give some thought? Please. So back in January, um, I uh, signed up for a police ride-along. Oh, that's and right. A right. Sheriff we were talk about this. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, it, it, the, the first time it was delayed and, and just a little mixture. But uh, when I went on and had a full day, I'll tell you what, you know, I've always respected law enforcement. Um, I've been, um, you know, always one that even considered, even maybe in a career when I was in high school, I thought I was going to become an FBI agent. You know, I think it was probably because of that TV program. But, uh, um, you know, every time I've had a chance to uh, 
have a jury duty, I've, I've, I've jumped on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the law is, to me, a very, very important. And when I went on that police ride along, um, it just confirmed the fact that we have a great sheriff department and a sheriff department that truly does protect and serve our community. And uh, the the men and women on it, I, I think, are, you know, we're very, very fortunate. That's not to say that um, th- there's issues that, you know, that do pop up and, and people do think that, you know, they're, they're unfair in this area or whatever. But um, I would say that uh, Poway gets sure enough, more than its money's worth of a, a great department serving them. And one of my things is, is that I would not defund them. I wouldn't do a lot of changes, but the one change I would bring in is more people involvement. Remember I talked about this people committee and bringing in people. And, and, and I think that um, if they had more oversight of the people in the community, with, with the sheriff department. Um, I know that uh, um, our, our captain uh, had a, uh, before the virus hit, he was going to have a, a meeting at the mainstream cafe. And mm-hmm. that's right when everything closed down. But why not have more of those type of meetings? Why not have more police ride-alongs, sheriff ride-alongs? Why not include the people? Let, let's go back to things that do work as like neighborhood watch. Let's, let's also take some of the things that we're finding in other communities where some of the, some of the police officers are walking the streets, getting to know the people. So wouldn't that be cool if our sheriff department parked their car and walked a neighborhood, you know, when kids were out on the street or when adults were out there mowing the lawn and just chit chatted with them, take Mm -hmm. the time to do that. I think those would be all real positive things. Um, I think that we also could have um, social services, add social services to our department. I know that uh, I was having a problem with one of my next door neighbors. Um, He thought I was playing music too loud. I thought that, you know, he was, you know, causing some disruption in, in the community. We didn't get along. And I called the sheriff department. I said, can you send out a squad car and, and talk to the guy? And they said, who is it? And I told them, they said, oh, no, we're not going out there. We know he has guns and we know he has <laughs> rifles. You know, you got to handle it. And I said, well, can I have a community um, um, person come in and, and sit there and, and work with both of us and try to get us to the point where we're respecting one another a lot, lot you know, further than where, where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Resolve some of the problems. And the community didn't have it. Um, and I think that's something that we need to add is a community liaison person that is going to reach out as an arm from our sheriff department back into the people and be able to hear what the people have to say and bring them back into the sheriff department. And it shouldn't just happen. It shouldn't happen through city hall. It should happen as a, how do we work with people? And I think that, that, uh, um, our commander had the right idea of having that meeting at the mainstream, but mm-hmm. we need to have more of those and we need to have them in other places than being at a bar or a restaurant. <laughs> we we, we right. need to have it like at our library where there is a free speech section there and, you know, people can gather and, and talk. But, or maybe um, at, a, at a neighborhood block party that you were talking about, right? And right. Having a, a special guest there to, to uh, chat. And with I love neighbors. that idea. I also love the idea that there's an officer on campus, not to bust the kids, but to get to know the kids on campus. 
And so uh, police task force type thing also I thought was really effective when I was teaching. And I used to have um, police officers come into the classroom all the time and talk to the kids. And I thought that was, they always came out with a better perspective of the, of the law enforcement. So maybe some of that too. So I'm sure you didn't have the music too loud to, to annoy your neighbors, but when you're listening to music, what do you like to listen to, Phil? Well, I am uh, uh, definitely a uh, uh, Santana, Carl Santana right. guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, yeah, big, big time. I, I just love it. Pretty eclectic type music. Um, KSON is, is, you know, I live up in the country. You got to listen to some country up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my grandson is living with us right now and he's a hip hop. And I always tease him. I said, you know, if you'd be listening to Led Zeppelin when you're lifting weights, you'd be lifting a lot more instead of this hip hop music. <laughs> so, you know, I grew up with Creedence Clearwater Revival and, yeah. and, uh, Cream and Santana, mm-hmm. Black Sabbath. And, um, I actually, when I, first broke 405 pounds on the bench press it was to a uh, sweet home alabama um, <laughs> every time i hear that i still get pumped up isn't it great how music will do that it'll just time warp you back to a time in your youth um yeah, yeah I, I i experience that sometimes with the smell of things um I'll, you know it's not just hearing things smelling things will transform me back to when i was five years old so wow. it's Trigger. amazing yeah, definitely. So music special. Good for you. Yeah, Santana, man. He is unreal. To this day, I will listen to Carl Santana and, you know, and, and fall asleep just to some of his music and a great variety. I mean, from, mm-hmm. you know, low rider songs to, you know, just hearing a full on orchestra. Of, yeah. you know, what instrument was that? Yeah, I saw Santana in concert. I think it was in 1982 at the California State Fair in Sacramento, and it was Santana and the police. And that was a, it was a great show, man. I, mean, I was a senior in high school then. Yeah. So good stuff. I also, I also was a Simon and Garfunkel guy. So it's, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. but you know, you know, it was a, the, I thought, and it, there's some pretty raunchy music in it, but I thought the best uh, tape that I ever had was uh, the soundtrack from Easy Rider. Ah, okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's really dating me, isn't it? Yeah. Was that was it, was Born to Be Wild on that one? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. A little Steppenwolf. So good. It was. Yeah. Well, well Phil, let, let's um, let, let's. I want to wrap it up because we're going to have you back. I, there's going to be a lot more we could talk about. Um, but uh, first of all, I just want to say what a pleasure this has been. This conversation, I, I've learned a great deal about you and getting to know you a lot better. And I hope our local citizens, um, voters, you know, getting to learn about you because campaign season is about to start here pretty soon. We're going to get into the hot and heavy of it. It um, is. It's coming. So. Do you have a website up, or are there ways people can contact you? I do. In fact, uh, I have a sign right behind. I'm, I'm going to take it off the wall and bring it up so you can see it a little closer. Sure. All right. There it is. Phil Factor is, uh, from Poway City Council. Right. So it's um, my website is Factor for poway.com so my first name with capital letters um f-a-c-t-o-r 
and right next to it, F-O-R, Poway, P-O-W-A-Y.com. All right. And that's my website. Um, it's a lady by the name of Nancy. I won't say her last name does it for me. And uh, she's part of my committee and, and uh, give her a little stipend, but she's really doing a lot of volunteer work. And, um, you know, one of the things also on that website when you check it out, is um, I don't want to be like the other candidates. Remember, I told you I wasn't a politician. Mm-hmm. So um, on there, I have a philosophy that I kind of live my life by. And uh, one of them is, uh, as I'll give you an example, you ever remember reading that book, The Little Train, you know, with the clown that goes uh, up the hill? I think I, I, I can. can. I think I yeah, can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that when there's problems to be solved in Poway, I think I can. I think I can. Mm -hmm. And I always will. And you get over that hill and and you realize that it took a team to do it. That's Phil Factor. That's what I believe in. That's just one of the stories that was etched into my mind on who I am as as that humanist. Mm -hmm. So um, I do appreciate being on this show. Um, I've seen quite a few of your shows and uh, um, I've always been inspired by you too. And, and that's why I, I, I asked you that question. Are you sure you weren't one of my students? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I can see you sitting right there in my room and uh, being that outstanding guy, you know, raising your hand, having a comment and, and giving your piece. So this has been a ton of fun. It really has. Right on. Well, again, thanks for for joining us here. Um, And let me just also say this kind of to the audience, everyone listening or watching. All local candidates are welcome to join me on this podcast, whether you're running for Poway City Hall, uh, City Council or school board, or maybe even if you're running for, you know, city council in the city of San Diego, county board of supervisors. If you're running for president of the United States, I'd love to have you here on the John Riley Project. But Phil Factor, candidate for Poway City Council, your website, Factor for Poway, it's Factor at, yeah, factor4poway.com. The four spelled out, F-O-R, not the number four. Um, so that's how they can get in touch with you. But thanks again, Phil. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. Look forward to the next one. All right. Thanks, John.